Hello, my friends. Welcome. My name is Joe. This is the Joe Martino Show. Today is part two of what is it like to grow up black in America. I'm not black, so I don't know what that experience is like, but I do have friends who are, and they have very graciously agreed to come on my show and to share their experiences. Let's kick it off. This is the Joe Martino Show. You're listening to The Joe Martino Show, a podcast dealing with all things emotional, relational, and human nature. Joe is a licensed counselor in the state of Michigan, specializing in relationship therapy. He is also the author of the book, The Emotionally Secure Couple. All advice offered in this episode is offered for entertainment and educational purposes only. Enjoy the show. Okay, so today's episode is going to be a little bit different. It is a little bit longer than my normal episode. It is an interview with a very good friend of mine. I've known him for almost two-thirds of my life. Uh, He's been a mentor, a friend, and we're going to talk about his life, his experiences. Not that this is universal for everyone, but one of the things that I truly hope in this time is that we can all stop and listen to each other. I'm seeing a lot of people not listening to each other, and I'm hoping that we can turn that tide maybe one person at a time. This is a Zoom interview. I'm in one state. He is 12 hours away in another state. And so there is some some sound issues, but I think if you listen to it, uh, I think you'll you'll get his heart and, and, and understand where he's coming from and what uh, is his perspective. All right, let's go to the interview. All right, so I would like to welcome Ted Boykin, uh, a friend of mine and a mentor. Uh, I was thinking about this the other day. I've known you almost two-thirds of my life. I think that means one of us is old or both of us is old. But Ted Boykin <laughs> is uh, a good friend of mine uh, and uh, sang at my wedding many years ago. Um, and You were at my wedding. Yes, indeed. Yep. Yeah, that was a fun time. Uh, we were in each other's weddings. Yeah. Uh, I didn't sing though, which is good for all the people who attended your wedding. So, <laughs> um, and he is also a black man, uh, married to a black woman with, uh, a black child in a predominantly white, I'm going to assume Clark summit is still pretty predominantly white. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, I appreciate you coming on the show. Um, obviously, we are at a time right now where people are at least engaging the conversation of racism. And so my hope is in these series of interviews that we'll be able to share the perspective of someone who's grown up black in America. And I think you have a unique perspective. You grew up in New York city cheering for the wrong baseball team. Uh, but I actually thought they were going to be pretty good this year, by the way. And I'm kind of bummed that the season's done. Because I think, I think baseball is better when both teams from New York are good. And then, and then in uh, 86, 84, moved to Clark Summit. 84, yep. 84, which is a predominantly white, uh, very different than New York City neighborhood. Just, just uh, north of Scranton, for all my listeners who are Office fans. Uh, You'll recognize the name Scranton. It's just about six miles north of Scranton. Uh, Ted, I want to kind of just turn this over to you. I do have a few questions, but just kind of, you know, one of the things that that has been said to me is that uh, I can't talk about racism because I'm not black, which I'm not sure I completely agree with. My grandparents were immigrants. I've heard stories. I lived a few when I was younger. But I definitely have not lived the pervasive racism that my black friends have lived. 
And so just share, share some of your perspective on that. Uh, as a guy who lives in a very white area, which I don't, but I mean, that's gotta, it's gotta be, how different is Clark Summit from New York City and just how you feel perceived? Well, it's, it's a very different culture here. Um, by and large, I've been well received in, in this area uh, for the most part. Um, I haven't had, uh, well, I've had a lot of wonderful experiences. I have had some that were not. Okay. Um, <clears throat> but uh, overall, it's been, a, it's been a good experience and I, I could have had those same experiences in New York City, right? Right, yes, indeed. Do you uh diversity in Clark Summit in, in this area, even in the Scranton area, is you know Italian and Irish and German and Lithuanian. That's diversity. Right, right. <laughs> and and never those those worlds don't even meet sometimes. Right. Uh, but for the most part, you know, this is a, a strongly Catholic, strongly democratic uh, area. Uh, very family oriented, and so it's it's a great place to live. Awesome. Uh, let me ask you a question about. I have one of the things that I'm fortunate to have is I have friends that are so far right that Donald Trump is a sellout, and then I have friends that are so far left that Barack Obama was a sellout. And one of the things that that is brought up in my conversations with my friends who are people of color is they feel the same pressure in different ways. Like, like I have a friend who is uh, black, he's gay and he loves Trump. And he's afraid to say that because his family gets really angry with him. Uh, his brother is who I've met a couple times is very anti-Trump. And it's like this, he's like family to get togethers are awful. Cause there's all this pressure. If I don't conform to the ideology, you live in a conservative, I think a more conservative uh, climate. Uh, do you feel pressures like that from the circles that you run in? Uh, yes, yes. I often don't tell people that I uh, voted for Barack Obama because sure. I just don't want, I, I don't, first of, all, first of all, I think your vote's a private personal thing. Right. Um, and it's really nobody's business. Um, as a Republican, uh, I felt like I voted for the better candidate. Sure. And in, in terms of what I was looking for, for leadership for the country. Um, but, but life is more than politics and I don't have time to argue about politics. Uh, right, right. I, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, and that's very important to me. And so um, I think that's what unites us who are believers. And we shouldn't get, we shouldn't allow the climate, the social and cultural climate, to destroy our churches and destroy the unity that we have as believers. Um, oh, no, I lost you. We're all humans. Yes. There was a human being who had some another human being 
stance, kneel on his neck till he died. And we yes. all got to watch that on live TV or on the internet. And we're, many of us were horrified by that. Uh, I think it was in many ways, this rather broke the camel's back in the culture. And, and so we see protest. Um, right. Now, there are, there are a variety of kinds of people out there who want to take advantage of these times of protest to, um, to do criminal things like looting. Sure. And vandalizing. Um, there are people who want to move the discussion away from the horror of what happened to um, it. None of that matters anymore because of the uh, because of the violence, because of the looting, because of the rioting. You know. Um, right. And to be honest, you know. Uh, rioting often happens in the communities of the people who are angry, which is really stupid. You know, it happens right. in their community primarily. Uh, but no one, no one's happy about uh, cops being shot or shot at. First responders, I have a, a student who's a first responder, he's an EMT, and they're shooting at them. Uh, right. You know, that's, that's ridiculous and uncalled for. So as a human, I think we all are horrified with what we're seeing. Right. Uh, I very rarely quote the Pope. <laughs> <laughs> but the Pope said, you know, there's a reason why people riot. People riot when they feel like they haven't been heard. Yes, yes. And I think what's happening in our country is that um, there's an opportunity for um, black people especially, but people of color who've experienced racism to have an opportunity to be heard. And I think, you know, so demonstration is different than riot. Yes. And there's a lot of peaceful demonstration out there um, as well. And we shouldn't lose sight of that. But yes. uh, it's, it's, it's what happens when people really feel unheard when they feel like uh, what happens in their lives, what happened to George Floyd, doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter when we change the conversation. Right. It doesn't right. matter when, when we make it about other things than what it really ought to be about. Right, and I think one of the things that I find so maddeningly frustrating in this time is there doesn't seem to be people willing to distinguish between the two. Right. And, and, and we can at the same time say, like, I, I don't even want to, you, you know me, I tend to be not dialing it down too much. I, I, I don't even want to say he was, he, he died. I, I, the word that comes to my mind when I watch that video is he was murdered. And that's, that's the word I use. And at the same time, I can be completely frustrated with them and, and, and I hope that they go to jail for life. And at the same time, be like, okay, I support the, 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 the protesters. I have a lot of friends who are in law enforcement who support the protesters. Sure. We have to make distinctions between them and the people that are burning down restaurants or taking TVs out of Target. Right. And that kind of stuff. 
And when we move the conversation, I'm afraid it's because as a society, we're intellectually lazy and it's just easier to lump everybody over there or everybody over there. And it feels safer. You just mentioned uh, four guys walking down the street with guns. Yes. Yeah. In my town, four guys open carried, which in Michigan, for anybody that lives outside of Michigan, in Michigan, it's legal to open carry um, as long as the weapon is properly secured. Okay. But if there had been four guys walking down the street, open carrying, we probably would have had a nasty incident. So it's, it's, or at least that's the perception. That's the feeling. Right. Right. And even here in town, the perception is when people discuss it, okay, those were four white kids. What if they were four black kids? Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, and, and they probably would have been dealt with differently. They would have been perceived as a threat on a different level. And, um, and I think that's the, that's part of the frustration. That's part of the frustration. I will say this. I don't know about our police force, if they would have handled it differently. It's a small force. I know four of the five guys pretty well. No, it all certainly. Pretty, all, it takes that, is one, all it takes is one commander to give the, the order. What, what, to, right. To no you know. doubt. No doubt. I like the one, one of the guys, one of the four that was uh, there the day George Floyd was killed, uh, murdered. Uh, somebody told me he'd only been on the job two days. Oh, gosh. Uh, yeah, can you imagine that? That one of those other three was his training officer. Oh. Um, and, but certainly the national perception, and at some point there's enough data points to say, okay, there, there certainly is a, a distinction between how that person's treated and how that person's treated. And the only distinction that we can see is their color. Uh, I was relating the story to my dad uh, about the time that you and I went for wings. Do you remember that we walked into, I think it was Johnny K's. We walked in and it was literally like the music skipped and everybody stopped and looked at us and you were like, Hey, maybe we should go somewhere else. And we left. I think we went over, does Wegman still, well, not now under COVID, but do they still have like a little diner? Oh yeah. Oh, it's huge now. Yep. Is it? I think that's where we went. We ended up going there. And the only thing was, is they, they were all white and I'm white and you were black. That was the only difference. You know, and I have a friend uh, that is a doctor who's black. One time we were riding together and he has a BMW and we get pulled over and the cop asked me if that's my car. Now he's in the driver's seat. I'm in the passenger seat. He's like, is, is this your car, sir? I'm like, no, it's his. <laughs> he's the doctor. At the time, I wasn't even, you know, I mean, like, I was like, what the heck? So that brings up the thing. And you mentioned this. People don't feel heard. One of our core values here at our office is we believe everyone wants to be heard. Uh, my first book that I wrote, I put that in. My question is, how can people who want to hear? I, I have a good friend who was over at his house last weekend. He was talking about, he's like, I'm not racist. He's like, I'm comfortable saying that. I'm not sure if I'm anti-racist, which is, you know, certainly from the book that just came out a little while ago now. And, and one of the things I said is, well, how well do you listen to people? How well do you hear people of color? He's like, I don't know. And so my question to you is, what would you say to someone like him? How can he be better at being inclusive, at, at, at treating people like brothers and sisters? Well, it comes, I think it comes down to, uh, okay, um, 
probably the hardest thing to hear is that racism might be things that you don't perceive as racist. Yes, sure. <laughs> uh, when a black person has an opinion or a thought or a feeling and it gets set aside because you don't think it's a legitimate thought or feeling, that's perceived as racism from a person of color, okay? Right. So um, it's, it's insulting to have someone tell you how you should feel, what you should think, <laughs> and how you right. should respond. Right. Um, yeah, and that, that last one we're seeing a lot right now. You should respond this way. Right. Well, you know, and if, if look at our country, um, if those, if the same kinds of things were happening to people in their group, whatever group they're belonged to, right. uh, they'd be just as angry. And I mean, we, we've seen that. I mean, yep. We came close to having riots over, over the stay at home orders Yep. I'm on the verge. Yeah, maybe maybe in Wisconsin they did. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah, no doubt. So you know, it's not it's not just on the left. It's not just you know. It's 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 this is a human condition. When you're not heard, yes. when you feel like you're not heard, um, people get angry, and then anger spills over, and it can get out of hand easily. Uh, and the extremists win the day when it when when people get angry. Yes, and and the and the voices of reason don't get heard in that in that setting. So uh, trying to do protest and trying to be heard uh, in a in an arena where um, the wrong kind of people sometimes take control of it is is uh, is hard, very hard. It 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 makes you realize all the more the power of a man like Martin Luther King to bring people together and protest without violence. That was huge. And part of that was, you know, they were churches, they were Christians, they were families, they were kids, moms and dads and grandparents. And, right. you know, it's, it's harder to see those people as a threat. Sure. Sure. <laughs> How would, so the Martin Luther King conversation is fascinating to me because I agree with you. He, he uh, you know, he, he wrote so much about no violence, no violence. And even at the time of his death, the most interesting thing to me, his son put up a tweet. Uh, I'm going to misquote it. So I'm just going to quote what I remember. But he basically said, let's be honest. My dad was voted the most hated man in America. Right. Just a few months before he died. And he didn't let hate drive him. You know, he, 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 he and in fact, the famous quote, hate can't, or hate can't drive out hate. Only love can do that. Right. And, and I think there's, I think there's a bunch of, you know, we talked about nuance. I think there's a bunch of different groups of people responding to this, of uh, this series of events that the George Floyd, uh, I cannot think of that poor woman's name in Louisiana, Brianna Taylor, I think yes. those types of things. Right. And, 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 and one of those groups is, is, is legitimately saying, I want to respond well, I want to love everyone well. And now I'm afraid that I'm not, I've never, you know, and like, like even my friends, like, you know, if somebody cracks a racist joke, I'm like, Hey, you can't, you can't say that here. How do you, how, how, what would you say to those people? How can we love our black friends? Well, or maybe we need to make black friends. 
But how do we do that think, in a way that is a very divided society? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think we are very divided and we live in our little cultural groups and often we only talk in those groups and so truth is defined by those groups. And we really don't care about the plight of people outside of our group. So if I'm in the country uh, and I got a right to shoot guns, I don't really care what life is like in the city where, where guns are all over the place and there's violence. That's, sure. I can't relate to it. Um, I can't relate to people, Americans, dying in New Orleans with Katrina. I can't relate to Americans dying in New York City when at 9-11. I mean, a lot of people couldn't. You know, I've talked to right. people that, I'm from Iowa, I'm not sure it really affects me all that much, you know. Right. Um, people, there's lots of folks out there who think COVID is just, uh, you know, nothing but the flu. Well, right. you know, I, I, I know people. <laughs> um, I'm related to people who've died. I, I know pastors who've died. I have a sister right now who's in the, she's a hospital chaplain in New York City. And she, she wasn't sick through that whole thing. And now she went back to work and in two days she had COVID symptoms <laughs> and she's in the hospital right now. Right. Um, so, you know, but it's easy when you live in a world where nobody you know has it to think it, it's nothing. Right. Um, and so I think part of the discussion has to shift to, we just need to listen to each other. We need to, um, you know, from a Christian perspective, we need to um, rejoice with those that rejoice and weep with those that weep and recognize the pain of other people might be different than my experience, but that's legitimate. Right, right. Um, you know, and from a Christian perspective, man, that's, we should be there. That's what we're commanded to be, but that's not what we're doing. You know, sure. our churches are just as cultural, culturally divided as, um, as our society. And I'm not sure that's really, I'm not sure that's, I know that's not good for the church. That's not what right. we're supposed to do. Right. You know, one of the things you bring up the COVID conversation, uh, I remember uh, here in Michigan, we've had, you know, some of the longest and most stringent lockdowns. And I remember when it first happened, I, I, I was one of the very first people to say, hey, look, we have to take this virus serious. And at the same time, we have to consider the really negative implications of what's going to happen under this lockdown. Um, you know, I've got a lot of domestic violence situations in my office. Right. Those people are now living with that abuser. Uh, uh, people don't have money, tend to get angrier and right. then take it out on the people they abuse. And, and I wasn't saying don't take the COVID seriously. I was saying, we've got to look at this as both sides of it and almost universally, not completely, but almost universally, the response was something along the lines of, oh, well, how much is grandma's life worth? Or you just want somebody to die or you're, you're, you just want to make money. And, and not only is that infuriating because none of that's true, but it, it, it highlighted to me, how once we're afraid as a society, we just put everything into the neat little box that matches. And that box is often uh, informed by that cultural group around us. Right. So 
and, and one of the things that, that even uh, one of my fellow graduates who graduated with my brother um, is on the east side of the state now. And he and I were talking and I said some of that to him. He's like, you're just wrong. I'm like, I'm telling you, people are going to die from the lockdowns if we do it this way. We've got to look it out. We've got to figure out ways to check on people. Suicide's going to spike, all those things. And, and all of that to say, because this isn't a conversation about COVID, I think that's part of the problem that I see when we start talking about race relations, when we start talking about police brutality, when we start talking about George Floyd being murdered, when we start talking about uh, the white guy that was killed in his sleep on a red flag law in Maryland. I can't think of his name right now. Uh, we're afraid. And so the people who support the blue back the blue, they're afraid that if you if you say, okay, these four guys are wrong, they should go to jail, they should spend the rest of their life in jail. I say that because I don't believe in death penalty. That's a different episode. Uh, well, then you're not backing any of the blue. And that's, that's insane to me. Like we can back the blue and still say, hey, these people are wrong. You know, and we can say, George, like George Floyd should have gone to jail. If he tried to, to pass a forged check, I think it's 30 days. He should have spent 30 days in jail. He shouldn't be dead. But we use those statements, I think, to feel safe. We stop listening because listening doesn't feel safe. What do you think of that? That was a long way to get to that question. I apologize. Uh, I, 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 I'm with you. I, I, I think that we, we just have to care about, you know, it goes back to, you know, treat others like you want to be treated. Yes. Yep. And, and there is a great concern about grandma and grandpa. Yep. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be 60 in January. I'm becoming grandpa, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, I'm concerned, you know, I, I have a whole different level of concern than if I were 30. Right. I have to. Yep. Um, and if if you don't care about my health, when you walk into my, you know, circle of life and you don't have, and you don't take precautions to protect me, I should be angry. I'm going to be angry. Yeah. So I always tell people, I don't care. And it's not, I don't care, but I don't care if people get angry. I think angry is good. I agree with you. There are times we should be angry. It's what we do when we're angry that right. concerns me. Yeah, I mean, we can't, what we can't do is we can't make statements. We, we can't say things or have the attitude that, that communicates, you just don't matter. Right. What, what we hear is, you know, those old people who are dying, they don't matter. Right. Yep. And, and honestly, I can feel that way when I think, well, if most of the cases are in prison and nursing homes, then why are we all in lockdown, right? Right. Um, and I was listening to the State Department of Health person in Pennsylvania, and she said, well, yeah, but those people go home. <laughs> and then they go shopping, and then they go <laughs> out in the community, and that's where the spread is. So it's not just in the nursing home, and it's not just in the prison, it's in our communities. and we're trying to contain it. And, and at the same time, people do need to work. Yeah. Yeah. And we have to live in the tension between those two realities. I yeah. I don't know how to balance that. Um, I don't think, I don't think it's wrong for 
people in government, governors, to care about the lives of the people they govern. Um, and but that caring goes both ways. It goes to the economic realities as well as the you know. But it feels like you're being forced to put a price tag on somebody's life, and that's a hard moral choice for a lot of people. Sure, I, I do think. Oh, go ahead. You know, from a, you know, from, as a Christian, I ought to be praying for those people in government. Um, I need to be trying to support them when I can. Uh, knowing that they have a really hard job. And it's not as simple as, you know, we're a bunch of, our country has really, you know, come down to being a bunch of self-interest groups, special interest yeah. groups. And politically, not that I want to get into politics, but politically, you know, that's, that's not United States. That's right. divided states. And yep. that's what and we're and, and, and I, I, yeah, we're there. We, we have to find things that unite us. Yes. As a nation, if we're going to continue to be healthy. And so, you know, common human experience. Nobody wants to be killed when they get pulled over, whether they, you know, ran through a stoplight yep. or rolled through a stop sign or didn't turn on their signal or, yep. you know, or whatever. Um, yep. Yeah, that's wrong, but that's not, that's not the death penalty. Correct. <laughs> and even if it is the death penalty, there's a system set up system that we should go through. Jury. Yes, right. yes. The, the cop and is you, not the judge, jury, and executioner. No, Judge Dredd is a movie. Not a very good one, but it's still a movie. It's uh, funny because just a few, uh, just, just before school ended, I was, I, uh, I was in a conversation with a group of students, and one of them said, you ever see that movie Purge? Oh. Uh, if you had the opportunity and there was 24 hours where you could go out and kill whoever you wanted, who would you kill? And I was horrified by the, the right. conversation. Right. I said, right. first of all, I don't want to kill anybody. And right. I don't even want to engage in this conversation because I just think it's so unhealthy. Right. And I left, but I, it, it, I kept thinking about it. And I thought about the, the, the movie, uh, the Marvel movie. Oh, Where uh, Thanos snaps his fingers? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know the name of the movie, but I, I've watched it with it, my kids. I know which one you're talking about. Just went out of my mind what the name is, but um, you know, I thought about that in terms of what this virus is really doing in our society, right? And and so the whole issue of valuing people and how important people are and losing people. What if what if we were to lose? You know. Uh, hundreds of thousands of people, people we know, people we love. Um, what would that be like? Um, it's, it's, it, to me, it's a horrible thing. And, sure. Um, so we, we're, we're in this tension, and we've got different groups speaking about their truth to that tension, and unfortunately, that doesn't help. You know, I appreciate the, the Dr. Fauci's and the other doctors who are working with infectious diseases and giving us information. Um, but they don't make policy. Right. right. I mean, we do need to listen to them because there are realities that we need to consider that maybe we don't about what, right. you know, what, what, what it could look like if we ignore certain things. Um, but there's a, there's a, 
there's a balance. Nobody is the nobody is the final word. Um, right. And and, and I, again, what's happening? What's happened in New York City with coffins lined up all over the place and refrigerated trucks with bodies in them is not what's happening in Mid Michigan where you live. <laughs> in Detroit, right. And and what's interesting is you know you look at Michigan. We had the second highest city behind New York City. Uh, in Detroit. Mm-hmm. And of course, that created a lot of division amongst the state because there's already a lot of division between the east side and the west side. It's a big enough state. Oh. Kind of like New York City and the rest of New York, right? Oh, absolutely. The rest of New York hates it when some of they're like, oh, I'm from New York. Oh, what part of the city? I live in Buffalo, you know, right? And I, I, earlier you talked about uh, disagreements. I think one of the things that I would love to see our society come back to is look for the majority of agreements and be able to live with the disagreements. You, you know, my wife and I, we were just talking this morning about something we disagree on. As therapists, uh, she uses a certain tool. I'll go ahead and say it, the Enneagram. I hate the Enneagram. Uh, <laughs> and and I, it's not like I'm going to spend the rest of my day angry with her or well, not sure. be her husband anymore, right? Well, right, sure, we say sure to that, but even you and I, we've been friends for a long time. Now we live in different states, so we don't, you know, pick up all the time like maybe we would if, if I lived in Clark Summit or you lived out here. But when we do pick up, there's an easiness to it. And I'm sure, well, I don't even have to say guess, I know there are things we disagree about. Sure. And it's okay. And we're losing that in our society. Uh, and, and we are, we're special interests. We're, 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 we're you know, I was talking to somebody and Colin Kaepernick, I'm, I said, look, he has the right to kneel. It, that's what makes America free. And his employer has the right to say you can't work here. And everybody gets mad at me for that position. And I'm okay with it until they stop being my friend because they disagree with me. Because if we don't agree, if we agree on that, we're going to disagree on something else. And, and that's where I'm afraid we're falling apart. It's easier to be angry and hate someone than it is to be angry and love them. And... You're right. There's a lot of people that have no idea what it's like to get pulled over and, you know, be worried that the cop's going to shoot you. I do have, a, I have one more question on, on this topic for you. Your daughter is 14. Is that right? She's 14? Correct. Correct. Yeah, she's Kyra's age. Predominantly white school? <laughs> yes. Any, like, like, as a parent, I've heard a lot of my friends who have black sons talk about their fears. Right. I've not heard as many talk about their fears for their black daughters. I don't know if that's just because I don't know a lot of people with daughters or if it's, if it's different. I mean, you know, there's universal fears for dads of daughters. As a father of three daughters, there are universal fears. That's right. But, but are there fears uniquely for you, for your daughter, that I probably wouldn't think about? Might not enter my consciousness. Well, you know, I think universally, we all we all have fears about and concerns about um, what kind of society they're going to grow up in, um, you know, what kind of guys they're going to date and marry. <laughs> uh, How big those guys are if we have to bury the bodies. I'm just kidding. <laughs> what what kind of world? What kind of world are we leaving for them? Yes, you I know? think about that all the time with my son, especially because he's so young. Yeah, I mean, that, that's probably, those are probably the bigger things. I think black men are perceived as more of a threat than black women are. Yeah. Um, 
there, there are lots of folks out there who really believe that black men are targeted. Sure. Um, that there's a that there's a silent genocide going on, if you will, uh, of imprisonment and killing. Right. Um, and so that's how they feel about what's happened, you know, with Ahmad Bradbury and Taylor, you know, and all those people that have died at the hands of police officers. There was the, the guy in Dallas where the police officer walked into the wrong apartment and shot him, you know. Right, sitting on his couch. Sitting on his couch, eating ice cream, minding his business. Right, watching TV. Right, right, in his own apartment. Like, it just – and people still defended her. It just blows my mind. Yeah. Um, there was a case in Kentucky I just read yesterday where a guy and his wife are in bed asleep, and the police knock the door down and come in, and, you know, there's debate about whether they really announce who they were and what they were there for. And he's a licensed gun owner and he pulls out his gun and there's 20 bullets and she dies. Right. And they arrested him, but they did drop the charges. Right. I heard the other day yeah. they dropped the charges, yes. but you they know. need to file charges in my opinion. And this is where I think the fear comes in. Cause when my police friends hear this, they get really angry with me. They need to file charges against the cops who went in or was, at least investigate it. It was the wrong apartment. Right, right, right. And the thing of it is, is I tell them, you know, and, and I used to work at a hospital where we had to put hands on residents and restrain them. And one of the things that I would tell the staff in training is you don't get to have a bad day at this job. You can have a bad day where you're off, but you don't get to do something that violates a kid's rights or hurts a kid. Right. And, and have, you don't get to have that kind of bad day. And we didn't carry guns, obviously. And people who are carrying guns they definitely don't get to have a bad day where somebody's life gets taken and it's just chalked up to, well, that's the price of doing business. That infuriates me. Right. Right. Because I just don't understand it. Everybody um, in America is supposed to have accountability yes. from, from the highest all the way down. And when we don't have that, we have problems. And that includes the police. That includes the president, the vice president, the governor, yep. the yep. Congress, yep. everybody. Yep. And I agree. And, and that infuriates the police union, but that's the reality. Yep. Everybody with accountability and, and should. And that doesn't yep. take away from the, the, the very difficult job they do. I have friends who are police officers too. Yep. And, um, and I, I get how hard it is and I get the pressures that they're under. And I think, I mean, no one really can comprehend it unless they're a police officer, right? But, but I think right. we'll have to have accountability. That's, that's the... That's what we're founded on. Right. Whoever made the decision to go into the wrong house needs to be, the, needs to be removed from the ability to make that decision because they've proved themselves incompetent. And I think fear rears up, well, what about every mistake? Well, I don't know every mistake, but that mistake cost somebody their life. That's a big deal. You know, uh, and, early and, talk, and then we can, just, well, we can just go on with life and pretend that it didn't happen. Yep. And people say, you know what? My life doesn't matter. Okay? Or when we say, well, blue lives matter or all lives matter, that take that is another way of of uh, pushing aside right. the fact that, you know, there was an innocent life or there was a life that didn't deserve what happened to them. 
that right. person didn't matter and we can just go on and that's that's what people are angry about and yeah. uh, I think the best thing that's come out of this is that we are having a national conversation yes and I think conversation happening I have had friends who never asked me about my experience until this time I have friends who are praying for me because right. of this time I, mean, I I'm in Clark Summit I'm in my apartment I'm in my apartment and I'm not you know, I'm not out there getting harassed on a daily basis or anything like that. I've had a wonderful experience here. Uh, when I travel, when I go places, when you and I go to the store. Right. <laughs> Just when you think it wouldn't happen, it happens. And you go, oh, my goodness. Yes. Yep. You know, yep. I was online in the grocery store and the lady left her purse somewhere. And she turned around, looked, took one look at me and said, now I'm standing with the person who wasn't black and but she looked at me and said you took my wallet yeah <laughs> yeah i and uh, and the kid, the kid that was with me was just like does she know who you are and i said no <laughs> she, all she knows is the color of my skin she took one look at me and assumed i was yep was the thief yep here's a big big black guy so he has to be a threat Right. You know, that that's the and thing that's, that go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say that's the world I live in and right. you know, it doesn't happen every day and I'm very thankful it doesn't happen every day to me. Right. But it happens every day to somebody. Right. Um right. yeah, I was talking with a group of students last night and on, on Zoom and one of them was talking about, you know, building an AR AR forty you know I'm talking AR fifteen. AR fifteen. Yeah. Yeah. And, and going and, and shooting up, shooting people who are rioting, you know, looking for an opportunity to shoot people. Yeah. Um, and, and we got to value human life. We got to know the rioting shouldn't be happening. We've got to put a stop to it. But violence begets violence, and that's not going to help the situation. But when you right. live in the country on a farm and you want to talk big, that, you know, that's great. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> And, and, you know, the thing of it is, is it's funny because I, like my country friends and I'm, I live in the country, they don't take a lot of time to try to understand the city experience. And my city friends don't really take much time to try to understand the country experience because, and you talked about presidents earlier. I think we just describe what we understand as fact. And so like people ask me all the time, well, did you like Barack Obama? And I always say, I don't know. I never met him. He seems to be a very nice guy who stayed with his who stayed with his wife this whole time. I can't think of a Republican president. Well, I take that back. George Bush did. Uh, w. Um, right. But if you want to talk about his policies and which ones I liked and didn't like, I'm happy to talk about them. But the person I don't know him, and I refuse to say because I thought this policy wasn't very good, I don't like that guy, and because I thought this policy was good, I do like that guy. And, but we, and because once we start with the president, then it runs all the way down to, oh, well, you're from the city. So you probably listen to ABC music and you do this and you do that. And, oh, you're from the country, so you probably do this. We've got to find a way to share the human experience and understand that it gets expressed differently. Right. We, we all love, love. If we well, love people other than the people in your circle, I mean, that's the solution. Yes. Yep. 
Yep. You know, That's what you, I told my friend can, the other day. What it, means, people well. what it means if you love what it means to love the cop, what it means to love the governor, what it means to love the president. Yes. If we could actually practice that, it would make all the difference. If you could love the person who just lost their loved one, right? Yes. As much as you love the people in your circle of friends and your family and your loved ones, then, then we have a shared common human experience and we can all, as a nation, grieve for what was a horrible thing that happened. And we can move together move on together and and people will not feel like they haven't been heard and haven't been uh valued and that their lives don't matter yes i think that's a great place to end ted i appreciate you coming on the show thank you so much uh i love you and uh, i appreciate you thank you very much thank you joe once again i'd like to thank ted for coming on the show today uh if you enjoyed this show if you enjoy this ep- this podcast please share it with your friends via social media That is the best form of advertising that I could achieve. Uh, We want to continue this conversation next week with a black woman who is in law enforcement as well. The correction side, very important. I I think to get as many perspectives as we can. It is my hope that through these episodes, we will increase people's knowledge, people's understanding, and we will listen to each other and hear each other. Thanks so much for listening. I know you could do anything with your time. I appreciate that you invite me into your time a little bit each week. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, please share with a friend. And hey, give us that rating in your podcast store. Until next time, change possible.